Hello, everyone. Uh, we are here for a fireside chat on climate change adaptation and disaster resilience. My name is uh, Galit Palzer, and I specialize in uh, uh, risk management of extreme events and climate change. Uh, I will uh, be happy to moderate uh, this session with uh, three uh, special guests, uh, which I would like to introduce now. Uh, we have uh, Excellency President uh, uh, Mohammed Nasheed, Speaker of the Parliament, and uh, former president of Maldives, and we have Excellency Richard Randriamandrato, um, Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, Madagascar, and Excellency uh, Mr. Hugh Hilton Todd, Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation, uh, Guyana. Thank you for all, have, uh, for all of you to join us here. Um, we have um, uh, in this uh, um, um, setting uh, three countries that are uh, situated in climate hotspots and are very pro prone to severe uh, uh, climate change uh, related disasters and the de devastating impacts of every cyclone uh, drought or uh, flood makes it th that much harder to achieve the sustainable development goals uh, i would like to ask uh, uh, president nasheed uh, one general question first uh, we know that increased co2 levels at the atmosphere are leading to uh, rising sea temperatures and uh, rising ocean acidity levels, which these threaten the coral um, ecosystems and um, other marine habitats. Um, the, the Maldives uh, depends on tourism and uh, fishing uh, for economic growth and for living. Uh, uh, do you feel let down by the international community? Well, um, thank you very much, and it's lovely to be um, in Delhi uh, joining the Raisina Dialogue. Um, am I, are we disappointed that those who created the problem by all these poisonous gases to the atmosphere are unwilling to amend their ways, and neither are they actually willing to assist us in appropriate adaptation. Yes, we are disappointed and also shocked uh, and unable to understand the naivety and the ignorance of this all. Climate change is happening and it is happening now and very rapidly. When global temperatures rise and ocean temperature rises, the coral bleaches and it dies. Our islands are made out of coral. And once you have removed the coral base that the island is formed upon, then you don't have an island. Uh, uh, you, of course, right now, because of the uh, damages to the diversity, we've lost so much fish within the reefs. And also the reefs protects the shoreline from erosion. And because of the degradation of the reefs, our shorelines are getting eroded. Uh, it is happening and we are having to dis change or bring people from one island to the other. Uh, and it is already creating uh, a fair amount of economic challenges and social challenges. Uh, we, must, we must amend our ways and uh, talking about 30 years and 40 years is useless for us. If you're not willing to do it now, we don't have a conversation. There's no point talking to you. There's no point talking to anyone. I will not be around 
in 20 years or my country will not be around in 20 years. And unless we see this as a climate emergency and unless we try to amend our ways rapidly, then we will not survive. Now on how, what kind of adaptation do we want? I remember in 2009 in Copenhagen, 26 big countries, the most richest, the most wealthiest countries sat together, including me, in Copenhagen, and they agreed to pay $100 billion a year for adaptation. Now, when we came into COP26, the OECD came out and said that they've reached about 70% of that. But that's like you doing your own homework, you, you kind of marking your own homework when OECD comes to that. And if you ask any of our countries on how that figure is arrived at, you would see that when you give a school, then there is a solar panel on top of it. So apparently it's climate change assistance, the whole school and the solar panel. So these kind of calculations and these kind of uh, auditing uh, reflections doesn't look very good. Uh, we hope and we feel, uh, we hope that the international community understands the gravity of the issue, that you have to attend to it now and do it rapidly. Yes, we are disappointed. Okay, thank you. Now that we know the challenge is immense, uh, let's go talk about the solutions. And I'd like to address uh, Your Excellency, Mr. Mandrato. Uh, uh, what can be done to address this crisis? And specifically speaking, what frameworks uh, would bring uh, climate change adaptation and resilience into the development and infrastructure uh, planning process? Well, um, we first of all, I'm very happy to participate um, uh, to this uh, important uh, dialogue 2022 uh, and Madagascar is very honored to uh, attend uh, this year's uh, you know uh, forum so uh, what can be done uh, we already know what shall be uh, you know commit every countries in the world we know that uh, for example the United Nations uh, uh, framework um, on climate change was uh, signed a uh, long time ago, 28, uh, 28 years ago, in 1994, which means that uh, there is already a global concern about what should be uh, done. Uh, but unfortunately, it looks like uh, uh, big countries, as the president said uh, previously, are dragging their foot and they are waiting for I don't know what disaster to happen until we uh, devote enough, uh, first of all, enough financial, uh, you know, support to particularly countries, um, small state countries uh, that uh, do not have that uh, financial capacity to address infrastructure um, needs. And again, this is a global concern. Uh, so perhaps and until we really shout louder than what we are already doing right now, that uh, countries like the United States of America, uh, European countries, India and China, uh, and to name but a few, 
um, countries that have the capacity to mobilize enough financial uh, uh, you know, uh, funds to address the, uh, the issues globally, then we would be at the same level of talking, talking, talking. So, so yes, so we have in the small islands and small uh, states like ours, uh, challenges ahead, but it should be addressed globally. So basically you're saying that it's a matter of funding? Mostly, yes. mostly funding. Uh, to give an example, um, you know, on the carbon credit uh, solution, in the case of Madagascar, for example, uh, we managed to mobilize uh, uh, funding from the World Bank, precisely uh, 10 million credit at the cost of uh, $5 per credit, which means roughly yeah. 50 million already mobilized. I think we will be able to address what, for example, uh, His Excellency the President of Maldives mentioned on uh, issues uh, in the, on the sea and, uh, and, and all that. But this is just a start. And by the way, in Madagascar, we, for the time being, we stopped, we put on hold a private initiative on selling uh, uh, carbon credit because there is a danger there. Uh, if uh, perhaps a carbon credit doesn't cost five dollars uh, a ton, it could be more, and it shall be more than that. Uh, and so, um, we definitely need to mobilize more funds. It's not just a question of uh, of money; uh, it's also a question of a moral responsibility uh, for the generation to come. Okay. Thank you. On, on that same subject, I'd like to ask uh, Your Excellency uh, Minister Todd, uh, uh, how can investment in disaster and climate resilient infrastructure uh, accelerate uh, the progress on the, on the sustainable development goals and also the Paris Agreement and uh, the Sendai framework? Well, thank you very much for, for having me. It's a pleasure to be in, in Delhi and I'm happy to be part of this distinguished panel. Um, of small states. Um, I want to first endorse what His Excellency the President would have mentioned, as well as my colleague here to my right. Uh, we are dealing with small states. We are inherently vulnerable. We have challenges that will never go away. We will live and die with it, and the next generation will inherit the same challenges that we have. One disaster can disrupt our entire economy. That is how vulnerable we are. And when you add climate change and changing weather patterns to that mix, you see how dire we are. Has multilateralism failed small economies when it comes to climate change? We've had conferences, discussions, symposiums. We've had enough conversation on climate change. We need action. Small states are punching above their weight at the national level. It's really a self-help issue. We are working assiduously at the national level, which is also a strain on our budget to cope with the effects of climate change. And we're doing so admirably, all of the small states. And when we speak out loudly, we are heard, but action is not taken. And I think we need, it's time for action. We need to, we need to stop having all of the fancy conversations and get to action. We've, the science is real. It's been 
endorsed widely at the multilateral level, but we don't have the buy-in from those countries that are actually causing most harm. So we need to have action and, and we need to dial back on the conversation. We've had enough conversation on this. For Guyana, we have been doing our part in helping to promote climate action and our national policies have been designed to cater for such. Um, at the regional level, we are very active as well and we try to ensure that we are a leader um, when it comes to climate change. And I know that um, His Excellency is, is also a, a global leader on, on climate change and I, I, I know that you, your, your work is, is well admired as well as yeah, very passionate. And we are very passionate because our, our, our countries are a threat. Our, 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 our survival is a threat. And we need, we need to focus on, on, on funding, um, financing, um, for resilience building because we are about building resilience. We are continuously building resilience as a small, as a small state. For example, in the case of Guyana, 80% of our economy or, or population live on the low coastal plain, which is about below sea level. So rising sea levels can affect us. We've had a national a flood in 2005, which disrupted the entire economy. It took us years to recover. We had another flood in 2020, which we've now we've become very proficient in dealing with, with crises. So we have a, a civil defense commission that is really adapted well to the changing conditions and we perform very well. Uh, but we need more financing. We need financing to help us to cope. We have to take monies from the treasury and redirect it to issues that are not caused by us. And I think that is something that is not good for small, for small economies. We need small economies at the multilateral level to help in other global efforts. But when it comes to climate change, seems not to be much of an much action taken. Okay, thanks. If I can pick up from His Excellency, um, most of the climate vulnerable countries are also debt ridden. Now, we took the loan, and we took the loan believing that UNFCCC was saying that carbon emission and climate change actually didn't have a relationship. Now, they've been saying that until last year. So we took a loan thinking that if this project is viable, then we can pay it back. But no, it's not viable. Uh, suddenly, it has destroyed uh, all our countries, and we cannot now pay back uh, the loan. So this is a kind of a uh, force majeure situation uh, where we can't, because of consequences outside our own doing, pay back the loan. So I think the first uh, victim would be bankruptcy. Yeah. Now, if Sri Lanka, for instance, now has another disaster, they will go under. And it is, it, you know, it's difficult to say that they will not have a disaster in June. That's what we've been seeing. And also, you know, a million uh, refugees from the Middle East and another three million, for instance, refugees from Ukraine. And the West thinks that, you know, this is a disaster. Wait, yes, there'll be a the billion going to your place. Yes, climate uh, related. There will be a billion of us going to Europe. You, you know, this is going to happen quickly. The coastal areas of the world accounts to a quarter of the world's population. 
and they are all going to be on the move. We don't seem to understand this. And you know, what kind of adaptation can we come up with? Can we build huge walls around our countries? No, you no, can't. No, you can't, yeah. So that's a, uh, another question for... It's $8,000 a meter to build an, a, a revetment and an embankment. $8,000 a meter. Okay, I, if I have a few minutes, I, if I may... We, we only have uh, five more minutes yeah. left. So, so $8,000 so $8, a meter and we have 2,000 islands. India alone is 1,400 kilometers. Bangladesh is another 500 kilometers. Tanzania, his country, every country. You can't build wall around. There is no infrastructure possible for this. Yes. Now, can we have nature-based solutions? Can you have a polyp that would survive? Can you have a, a sand grain that would retain water? Can you have a tree that would not burn? Do we have the science for that? I would like, I would, I would like, no, I just want to say that there is a race against the odds. And if we don't act now, the price of that waiting for a better time will be much, much higher. Uh, yes. Look I, at what uh, was written on newspaper yesterday or the day before yesterday, that the world may run out of food in 20 years now, as a scientist said. So imagine the burden to the global uh, community if small states and fragile states it's are amazing your side. naivety and Sorry, ignorance. you have questions but no i i, I want to i want i want to hear uh, uh, about madagascar's uh, um, let's let's say how how you're dealing with uh, uh, the credits carbon credits and uh, do you utilize it well we we um, are reforesting uh, our country massively we are trying to do the best we can but uh, it's never enough um, yeah. so we we use it the best we can. We educate people as well. Uh, we are teaching the, uh, the kids and the youth to think of the future and to avoid making the mistakes that um, the others are doing, that we are doing, uh, and to address their, um, you know, the, the next challenges uh, with uh, ethical uh, manner. So uh, there are many uh, uh, Maybe Admiral Todd, uh, just, can you... But again, we, we are facing that yeah. with courage. Could you also just... Just to, just to add to what His Excellency was saying, migration will be a big problem for the, for the developed states. And it's a direct correlation between climate change and migration. Are you... Is that part of your... Uh, this, um, is, this is science. So if countries are going to disappear, where where are the population going to go? Yes. They will look for places to go, and migration will be an issue. We will Absolutely. jump on a boat. And, the first thing we'll do is jump a on a boat. And then suddenly you would have hundreds of boats and boat yeah. people all over the world. And they will go to these shows. They will, they will go to Europe, and they will go to these places. Exactly. Uh, and I, I, I really, it's yeah. amazing the naivety uh, and the ignorance of it all. And to does, add to that, we are, we, are praised, wait, we are praised at the national level for, for efforts can I ask combating just climate change, but nothing is done at the multilateral the, level. The, the refugees of climate change, uh, is it something that has been addressed? Uh, it's a they don't even want to mention the word refugee. They don't, they, there is a long sentence that Europeans use for climate displaced people. They don't even want to mention the word refugee. But please calculate how much, how much money that this is going to be. Yes. This is going to destroy everyone's yeah. livelihood, not just ours. When we go down, I think you will go down with us. 
The we, we are actually also uh, uh, in the hot spot uh, regarding climate change. My country is also in a hot spot. Uh, but uh, uh, what, final words, because we have to wrap final up. Word. Yes. World War III is not in Eastern Europe. The $8 million that they are uh, devoted for, uh, for a war in Europe, and maybe more, uh, this is not where they have to put their money. It's on the future of this planet. Yeah. And we may be small in size, small state, economically speaking. Uh, we may be fragile, but look at the moral responsibility to millions of people as well in our countries. Okay. It will be a burden for the future. Would you like to say final words? We just need action. And we need action from the large emitters who are responsible for the human activity that would have caused us to be in this situation. And we don't need another conversation. We need financing for adoption, adaptation and resilience building. Yeah. Full stop. Thank you. But it's, you know, everyone's saying the same thing. Uh, we, need, we, need, we need more money to science as well. We need to find a new diversity. We know that we've lost this biodiversity. So where is a resilient coral? Do we have a resilient coral? Is there a resilient coral? I think there is a resilient coral. Can we enhance its growth quicker? Uh, can we start using nature as adaptation? Now, Guyana has, and they're all planting trees. You travel across Europe on a plane, it's flat. For 700 years, they've been cutting down trees. And, you know, how can we rewilden? And, and they have to. They have to stop using all that land for farming, find new technology for farming, vertical farming, and then grow their forest. I think we need Europe to grow forests, not us. Yeah. And to add to I that, our standing forest in Guyana is the size of, of England. Wow. Yeah. So that is so our... We well, definitely have England we... has cut down all their forests yeah. and they built ships. <laughs> out of that. So there's a lot to take from this session. Uh, our time has come to an end. And um, yes, it was very interesting. And I'd like to thank all three of you. Um, and um, thank you for everyone who is uh, listening to us. And uh, see you in the next session. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.